0: This week on the show, we do a, is this week the penultimate? Does that mean second to last? Second to last show. We do a lightning round Q&A. People are worried about my soul. (laughs) Talking about the fundamentalist church, things of that nature. So it's going to be fun. Here we go. Welcome to Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Hoffeltz. We hope hope you enjoy the show. Oh, gosh, it's nice to see you. Uh, Yeah, welcome to Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Koffeltz. If you are here at this point, you are among the faithful, and I am glad that you are sticking around to the end. The end, of course, is coming next week as we wrap up this show but there's important stuff still yet to chat about. Most importantly is trying to get to uh, as many of your questions as possible, which is what this whole show is going to be about today. It's going to be a whole Q&A show. Uh, I know in the last few months I have pivoted to that pretty strongly and, uh, and I love it. So I love getting to think about your questions and uh, it ends up bringing up a lot for me to consider. So thank you for allowing me to think about your questions. Um, yeah, not much on the announcement side, uh, outside of the fact that as we wrap up this show, uh, one thing that I would ask you to do is if you have any interest in whatever future projects, little surprise things, maybe even a little surprise newsletter here and there, uh, that might drop, um, please go, uh, into the show notes and subscribe, excuse me, and subscribe, uh, over at eddiekauffeltz.com. You may not get much. You certainly won't get much. And it'll be very quiet for a while. But if you're interested in this and you want to know what's next, if anything is next, that's how you'll find out. Okay, the other thing, too, is thank you for listening today. That's all. (laughs) That seems like such an announcement for such a weird, odd lack of buildup. But I'm just I'm grateful that you're here. And I'm grateful that we get to have this time together. So, with no further ado, let's dive into our first question and answer sesh. sesh, short for session, a no big. Issue 46. Slacker, Poppycock and Saint Anger. <laughs> That's either the best or worst one yet. As I close up shop here, I find myself having some lingering guilt over not getting to more of the questions you've sent in. I mean, it's not like you're clamoring for my advice, but real people spent valuable time uh, crafting something very personal. So the least I can do is put it out there for all of us to consider together. With no further ado, here we go, our first and last lightning Q&A newsletter. Question one, I've been working at home since 2020. After being in the office before then and haven't gone back. The problem is I'm really bad at working from home or rather I'm really bad at boundaries with the technology and distractions that surround me at home without any oversight. I still get my work done and my boss thinks I'm doing a great job, but I could get twice as much done if I didn't spend half the day scrolling. Even when I put my phone in the other room, I have a hard time focusing and actually doing work. Any advice for being productive, a productive employee at home? All right, here's my answer. Slacker, you have come to the right person. I've worked at home for almost a decade, and I adore it. For me, the pandemic was business as usual, except that everyone in my family was all of a sudden in the house, and we were washing our groceries for a month. But outside of that, the daily grind of Zoom, Slack, email, and phone calls is what I've actually come to love. Here's why. First, the U.S. has a pretty intense view of what it means to be a good employee, In other countries, the workforce is encouraged to rest, take long lunches, go on extended holidays, and take a lot of time with new babies. But in our country, a country that was founded on the principles of hard work and being self-made, we value the grind. That grind, for some, is manna. But for me, it destroys my creativity, passion for work, and productivity. Second, I don't buy the premise that a lack of boundaries and accountability affects your overall output of work. In the typical office, people waste a huge amount of time on company time. Uh, sorry, they waste a huge amount of company time. Sure, they aren't brazenly playing Candy Crush. I'm on level 542, by the way, no big deal. But they are ha- they are also not driving hard for eight to nine hours. They're chatting with coworkers, working slowly on a project, taking more sick time. And what's more, studies confirm this. By the way, in the newsletter, there's a link to a pretty reputable study out of Stanford. So you can read that. And even they go so far as to assert in this study that working from home is more productive. I think they actually said it's 13% more productive. Anyhow, I get that it feels weird to be watering and pruning the roses during an all staff meeting. I literally did that last week. But maybe, just maybe, your difference of overall pace and pressure might result in higher productivity during the peak times. I know it does for me. All that being said, slacker, here are a few questions I ask myself pretty regularly to keep my own work from to keep my own work from home accountability. Gosh, I'm a mess reading today. I'm sorry. Here are the questions. Number 1, am I being ethical with my overall time, even if that time looks different than someone in a traditional office setting? 2. Are those who supervise me and have a personal stake in my success affirming my work? And 3. Do I actually like this whole setup? If I can answer yes, honestly to myself, to all of those questions, well then, it's a pretty good gig. Okay, here's the second question. Actually, this was a comment. (laughs) I love this one. This TM that you talk about, are you not worried that this may be considered, quote, new age and could be harmful to your spiritual well-being? By the way, TM is Transcendental Meditation. I wrote about it uh, last week or week before. Anyhow, uh, it could be uh harmful to your spiritual being as fortune tellers and mediums are i know many think that demonic activity is poppycock but i'm here to witness that it is not i worry that with your anxiety and the way you have tendencies for addictive behavior (laughs) that this transcendental meditation may be damaging in the long run i only say this because i have grown fond of you over the years and would not want any mind issues to start which i appreciate here's my reply this morning, I made an incredible cup of coffee for myself. Then, once I knew my oldest daughter was awake and getting ready for school, I took that coffee to a quiet room, sat in my favorite soft but sturdy chair, and closed my eyes. I repeated my mantra in my head for 20 minutes, often, often having ra- random rabbit trail thoughts, one of which I jotted down so that it could be released. I continued, feeling my heart rate slow, hearing the birds wake up and feeling a slight chill wisp through the cracks of my very old windows. After a while, I opened my eyes, saw that the neighbor's garden had finally produced the watermelon she'd hoped for. I felt very happy about that for her. Then I hugged my oldest daughter as she left for the bus, kissed Brianne as she left for work, and began playing with my youngest daughter, who had just woken up, whose face was still warm and creased Ooh, a little emotional on that one. Sorry. Whose face was still warm and creased from her pillow and who wanted to joke and play with me before she started her day. Poppycock, this anxious little addict of a man that felt deep peace this morning. And what I wrote during my meditation was, quote, reply to Poppycock and tell her that there's no reason to be afraid. The more mystery, the better. Tell her about the wisp of air and the watermelon and the warm face. Maybe that'll help. Ooh. I don't know. My writing isn't that good. Something, something's getting me about this. <laughs> I made it this far without crying. Okay. All right, here's the third question. I still find myself relating to God as anger. I fear messing up and often fall back into thinking that at best God tolerates me, but mostly he is disappointed in me. Oh, that is untrue. Do you have any suggestions on practices or ways to embody God as love? Or know anyone who is talking about these sort of things. It seems like there are a lot of people talking about rejecting fundamentalism, but I haven't found anyone who is talking about how to heal from the wounds inflicted by growing up in it. Any suggestions or resources are appreciated. Saint Anger: The best resource I've found is counseling. It was in counseling that I realized that the lens of how I viewed every person and deity was through the lens of a child, a child who was scared and alone, a child who saw a lot of anger and a child who thought that the whole world was angry at him. Once I spent time with that kid and told him how good the world really was, I began to see people through the lens of truth. I suspect your angry, fundamentalist God might be conflated with an angry, fundamentalist influence in your life. Differentiating the two will allow both people and deity to be accurate reflections of who they truly are. Angry, loving, caring, hurtful, worth holding on to, and worth letting go of. oh boy so that was the first ever uh q a and i am just uh, gonna spend a few minutes to burn through another couple of questions um just i, I want to reiterate just like kind of i did at the beginning of is this right oh, i like that do we like this music i don't i think i like i think i like that i wish i could take a vote right now do we like this i let's do that that one's right okay <laughs> Can we tell I'm at the second to last show. I'm like, let's pick music on air. Okay. Uh so for this free skate section where we get to kind of do what we want, I am going to answer another few questions. These questions were certainly worth being answered in the newsletter, but somehow uh the answer just wasn't coming out in writing as well as I thought I might be able to do it on a podcast. So, Here's the first question. They wrote, I love listening to your podcasts. Thank you. I'm a, 50, uh, uh, I'm a 57-year-old black female who retired after 32 years of teaching in January of 2020. Uh, this person then goes on to say some very nice things about the podcast I was on during that time called Annie and Eddie Keep Talking, etc. So my question, oh, and thank you. So my question, what advice do you have for me in the area of enjoying retirement? Should I plan to continue to play pickleball as much as possible? Yes. Or do I need to set in my sights on becoming a certified Enneagram coach and tap back into my love of teaching? I know you can't tell me exactly what to do here, but I look forward to and appreciate your thoughts. Thanks so much for the good you're putting out into the world. That's a very nice thing to say, especially coming from a person who taught for 32 years. That's actual good into the world. So I will say this. Um, I've been pondering this and have thought about retirement, especially as I get a little older. I'm 43. I've got plenty of years before I retire. But you start to think about like a little, thing. am I saving enough money? Could I ever, could I retire? What I want not retire to look like? And I think there are two things. I think one is I do want to slow down. I do want to breathe. I do want to have the freedom to play pickleball and to read an entire book in a day. But at the same time, the concept of retiring and the concept of stopping doing things I care about seems impossible. I I just don't feel like I dislike the world I get to live (laughs) in enough to stop trying to figure out how to be a part of it. Um, I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know if I'll be volunteering as a you know somebody who works in a you know second grade classroom helping kids or hanging out i don't know if that'll be coaching a sports team i don't know if I, I i don't know what that'll look like i don't know i don't know but i do know that the concept of retirement of throwing my feet up and doing nothing seems very unappealing and i suspect person who wrote in that it is unappealing to you as well i think the only thing that i would offer you and i the only thing i should offer you really is for me to be quiet and to listen to you because you are a 57 year old person who has retired after a long career. So I should really be asking you, Hey, what do I do here? How do I become an adult? But because you've asked me, I will say that I think th- that for whatever there is in your sentence, that has kind of a should element to it. What should you be doing? Should you be playing pickleball? Should you be becoming an Enneagram coach? Should you be doing this? Should you? I don't think you should be doing anything. I think you are allowed and I think you have the freedom to take a moment and to take a breath and to see what's right today and to know that you are, I know you retired, but you're still only 57 years old. You've got a crazy amount of time left in this life, we hope and we'll assume. And so I feel like maybe the real answer here is to turn down the pressure, if there is any, on what you feel like you should be doing and just go, what is right today? And might it be a little bit of both? Maybe in the morning, you play pickleball with a friend. Maybe you maybe you have a steady game every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Maybe Tuesday afternoon, you stop and you do a little bit of writing and you start your Enneagram blog, right? Like, it could be both things. But the days of having to do stuff, because you've retired, because you had to earn a mortgage, and somehow you've been able to figure out how to not work and still have a roof over your head and food in your stomach, Right? There's less that you have to do. And so you, you don't, you, you get the opportunity to have less pressure. I do hope we get to learn from me though. Whatever that looks like. I hope that was helpful. Non-answer answer. I don't know. Okay. Second question. I was wondering if you have any advice on moving with a two and a half year old and a four month old. Uh, I know the transition is going to be hard on them and us. We are moving from California back to Colorado. Wow. Beautiful place to beautiful place. Uh, we have a great community in California, and I'm hoping to establish that in Colorado. Let me know if you have any tips on moving. Thanks so much. Um, well, a very practical tip is I spent a lot of my life not paying anybody to help us move. And because I was because I am strong, <laughs> because I wanted to do it myself. And the first time I hired movers, it was the if I, Bree and I both said it was the best money we've ever spent in our life. So if you can hire a mover because moving with a two and a half year old and a four month old, you were at 100%. Even if you just gently got in the car and had a lovely, comfortable drive from California to Colorado, it's 100%. You can't do anything more than that. That is a huge amount. So I would ask for help, even if you don't hire movers. That was such a bougie answer, but I, it was so practical. I had to say like, I love movers, but um, I would ask for help. And I would ask for help um, to the point that it is. Uh, you, it feels a, a little bit uncomfortable. Your folks in California are going to want to send you off well, and they may not fully know how to, so ask them. Ask them to watch the kids for a weekend. Um, although you wrote this question a while ago, I'm, I'm afraid you've already moved and this is all pointless, but maybe it's helpful for someone else. Ask them for help. Ask your people around you. They want to send you off and so they can. Um, the other thing, too, is when you get to Colorado... Find any handhold you can for any kind of community. I wouldn't spend six months trying to find the perfect, whatever, church. Just find a place right now. You can you can dial it in later. But find a place, anyone that looks nice. See if you can go to the little social thing afterwards. Just do anything you can to find a handhold. Um, because as I wrote in episode, I think, two, when I talked about Emily and Amy, like, there was... Pre-handled, And then there was these two women showing up at our door that changed the trajectory of our time here in Virginia pretty drastically. So, um, I would do everything you can to find a community and to not be too, uh, picky about it. Um, I hope that was helpful. Yeah. I don't think you were going to be picky, but I know that for me, uh, perfection is the enemy. Uh, what's that phrase? Perfection is the enemy of good. Something like that. I needed to just go the other way and go like, all right, these people might not be my best friend, but they're cool. We met it, you know, at soccer practice. Let's see what it's like to hang out. Okay, I hope the move goes or went okay. The last thing, uh, a pretty long question, so I'll just kind of get through the high points. This person uh, graduated December with a bachelor's in psychology. Um, in the hopes of becoming a counselor, they got waste listed at a school, etc, um, they would love to hear discuss the experience as a counselor. Uh, they did rightly say that they don 't think i 'm seeing clients anymore and haven 't talked about it recently, uh, but wanted to know what I would feel comfortable sharing um, and they would like to know what I loved about it, what I learned, what I could have done differently, better, etc so and then they also said some nice things and wanted to know if I grew up. Uh, close to where they grew up. And I will say to only this person who wrote in the question, no one else is going to get this, but I had my 10th birthday at Seminole Lanes. So you were right. That's where I grew up. Okay. So let's talk about being a counselor real quick. So um, being a counselor in some ways, oops, I just adjusted the microphone. Sorry about that. Being a counselor in some ways was uh, an awesome professional decision for me. And in some ways it wasn't. Here's what was awesome. You get a front row seat to seeing people have pretty miraculous moments happen in their life and um, it's hard to be a counselor but it's not as hard as being a client and so you get in there you see patterns you ask questions you lean on your academic understanding of what's happening you learn your family systems you learn your type of counseling and your cognitive behavioral therapy you learn all your stuff and then you sit there and you ask the questions through that lens and then you just get this phenomenal front row seat to watching them be the experts on themselves and wake up to some really important realities about their life. I mean, if you ask people who have been to counseling, they would all say that it was probably, well, if it was a successful counseling experience, they would say it was one of the most profound experiences of their life. I have gone through four, maybe five rounds of counseling where I like saw somebody from like start to finish and we all agreed to wrap up. So I've been on a lot of counseling and all of those moments have been groundbreaking For me, and as a counselor, you get to sit there and watch it. That's the pro. Uh, The con is that it is a independent hustle to make a living. Uh, It is so no like you got to earn hours. You're not going to make much. You know, to get your licensure, it's a lot of hours. You're going to have to spend. A lot of hours making 50 bucks a client and you're gonna think like oh 50 bucks times 40 clients in a week you're never gonna be able to have 40 clients can't handle it emotionally you don't have the marketing to do all of that like it is hard to make a uh it it is it is it is a business where you really have to either accept you that you're joining someone else's practice and they're taking a substantial cut or you are starting your own small business and fully leaning into the small business of it all, right? So you are fully marketing yourself. You are fully your own administrative person. You have no support. It's really hard. It's really hard. And so for me, I didn't love it enough to do all of that. I knew that counseling was a part of it and probably led to things like doing the best we can and marketing. I and mean, when I work in marketing and communications and so much of the work I do in marketing and communications is a direct result of what I learned in counseling. You're thinking about how people are thinking um, and translating that into selling them a service or in my case, a nonprofit organization. But uh, for, right, so I didn't have it in me but I have a lot of friends who definitely have it in them and they have been they have found not only great freedom in terms of their job but also in terms of like financially they have started their own thing they have done the hustle the clients are building they gain a reputation the clients start to refer to other clients and the next thing they know they've got a full practice going and they're hiring their second person and taking a piece of that person's you know upstart money and they're they're really doing it so if you feel like you got the hustle in you, go for it. But one thing that's helpful to note in your, uh, in, your, like, in your schooling, once you finally get into Appalachian State, which I'm sure you will get into, once you get into your school, listen to that gut. When you start to do counseling sessions and you're practicing and they're making you record your counseling sessions and do all of that stuff, pay attention. How much do you love this? because there's a lot of things you can do with a counseling degree. You don't have to freak out and go like, I don't want to be in private practice all the time, but I would like to do. There's a lot of stuff you can do. You can work in a school. Super helpful to have great counselors in a school. You can work as a social worker a lot of times. You can pursue marketing and creative like I did. There's a lot of stuff you can do with a counseling degree. Um, So maybe you appreciate the degree, but really pay attention to the time you're in session in school and say, like, could I care about that enough to do 30 of those sessions a week and then market those sessions, more sessions the other 10 hours. Boy, that was an in the weeds long answer. I know no one's listening at this point, but I wanted to give the person a solid answer, and so we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, Let's do the closing music. Should we? Yes. As always, thank you to Uncle Jimmy who edited uh, the newsletter this week. Sweet Uncle Jimmy. Editing, delivery, and... No announcements, nothing to ask outside of thank you so much for listening to this. Do please sign up for the newsletter. You'll only get one newsletter. You'll only get next week's final newsletter, but you'll be on what I guess will just turn into my mailing list where I'll let you know what things are happening or cool things, cool organizations you can support. You know, I'll use your email very uh, uh, judiciously. I'll be wise with it. That's all for this week. I am hard at work already and almost... We'll be done with next week's final edition of doing the best we can thank you my friends